0: For you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory and this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that. Verse 28, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereinto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Let's pray together. Father God, I do thank you for a good day that you've given us. Thank you for a great service, Lord, the great spirit this morning. Thank you for the visitors you sent our way and for the one that was saved. And I pray that, Father, you'd work again in the service tonight. I pray that, Lord, you'd take your quick and living word. Uh, Lord, just put it right in our hearts where we need it. I pray that we'd allow it to change us, help us respond to it, and leave here, Father, on our way to becoming renewed, particularly in our Christian character. And I thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever heard me preach, you can probably tell that uh, the Apostle Paul is one of my heroes. And uh, as you read about the Apostle Paul's life, uh, one of the things that you'll find about him is that he has a treasure trove of admirable uh, character traits I think that we would all covet. I was trying to think this afternoon what I would probably rank up at the top of some of the Apostle Paul's character traits that I would, uh, would covet in my own life, and I think first off would probably be his boldness. The Apostle Paul is one of the boldest Christians I think you'll ever read about or probably that ever existed. And he was bold regardless of the circumstances in which he lived. And I assure you, we have not faced anything like the Apostle Paul faced in his lifetime. And yet he was bold about what he believed. Uh, The second would be the readiness for him to present the gospel in spite of the circumstances he was living in. You'll find that no matter who he was around, whether it was around the religious elite or around the common man, the apostle Paul was always ready to present the gospel. And that is something that as a child of God, I covet in my life. That's a trait I want in my life, that there's always a readiness to share the gospel. Uh, And the one I guess we'll probably round it out would be his fearlessness in the face of persecution. It did not matter what he faced and what the repercussions were going to be for sharing the gospel. The Apostle Paul had a fearless spirit about him, and so tonight we could go down the list and look through all throughout Scripture at these different character traits that the Apostle Paul had that we'd love to have in our life, but I want to look at one in particular tonight, and we're going to zoom out just a little bit, and it's a character trait that I believe drove all of the rest, and that was a simple fact that the Apostle Paul was a man of conviction. All right? He was a man of conviction. What was it that drove his boldness, his readiness, and his fearlessness was his conviction. Paul had something burning deep down on the inside, and that's what was translated to that boldness, that readiness, and that fearlessness. Now, if there's something I believe is lacking in the church today, and I'm talking about the people, not in the building. If there's something that's lacking in the church today, I believe it's simple, good old-fashioned conviction. Uh, we don't have much uh, uh, much grit anymore about the things of God, and conviction is something that's not popular today uh, because it's viewed as intolerant. We're not supposed to be convicted about anything because if I'm convicted about something, it automatically uh, means that somebody else uh, is wrong because they're not convicted about the same things I'm convicted about, and so we're very careful about things that we are convicted about. Uh, but I read this from David Gibbs. David Gibbs, who's argued before the Supreme Court many times, he's preached behind this pulpit, uh, he defines a little bit in what he defined before the Supreme Court, the difference in a preference in a conviction. Listen closely. A preference is a strong belief, but a belief that you will change under the right circumstances. Circumstances such as, number one, peer pressure, number two, family pressure, number three, lawsuits, number four, jail, and number five, a threat of death. A conviction is a belief that you will not change. Why? A man believes that his God requires it of him. Preferences preferences aren't aren't protected by the Constitution. Convictions are. He goes on to say a conviction is not something that you will discover. It is something that you purpose in your heart as Daniel. Then he says this. Convictions on the inside will always show up on the outside in a person's lifestyle. Folks, tonight, I believe that's a a very good illustration of exactly what a conviction is. A conviction is something that we hold in here uh, that we believe so much and that we have such a boldness about that that it overflows on the outside of our life. Now, the Apostle Paul faced circumstances in his day and age that would completely devour most of the preferences of Christians in today's day and age. Would you believe that? Uh, I mean, the things that we prefer as Christians, the things maybe even we're convicted about in today's society, the circumstances as the apostle Paul faced, would chew them up and devour them. As a matter of fact, as our world continues to become more anti-God, I think we all would agree with that tonight. Our world is rapidly growing exponentially toward an an anti-God philosophy. Now, as we move more and more in that direction, the only thing that's going to create a boldness, a fearlessness, and a readiness inside of us is for us to have the same thing Paul had, and that's some good old-fashioned conviction, something that we will not change regardless of peer pressure or circumstance. Now watch, I believe tonight it's been so long since many of us have seen it or even been stirred about something and have such a conviction about it that we may not even recognize it. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that about myself. I listen to a lot of the old preachers. I even have some of their records in my office. My daughter has a record player and we'll play records around the house. That vinyl just has a good old sound, doesn't it? Uh, we'll do it around Christmas time, play some Bing Crosby around the house and it just has a good sound. You listen to these old preachers and these old preachers, I mean, good night. They had conviction. I mean, they had a little bit of a fire in their belly or a fire in their bones or maybe a fire in both, but they had conviction. Now, folks, if we are going to make it in the cause of Christ and for the cause of Christ in a world that's becoming increasingly anti-God, you're not going to make it on Christian preferences anymore, okay? The world we're living in is going to devour your Christian preferences. You're going to have to have some conviction. Now, Colossians chapter number 1. You're going to see conviction really begin to materialize in the Apostle Paul's life. Now, you can read in all the epistles, and you can see Paul's convictions on the inside materialize in how he lived his life on the outside. Now, folks, that's what we're going to have to have. All right? We can't have these hidden convictions anymore where, you know what, I really stand on that, but I don't wear my religion on my shirt sleeve. No, uh, it's going to have to be a conviction that bubbles over out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and there's three particular areas. I could have done four. But I thought, you know what, this morning I was really hard, and I gave them four, all right? So tonight we're only going to go three, and then we're going to get to the cake auction. Brother Nate says, you might not want to mention that we're having a cake auction. You're going to hurry up the preaching. I'm not going to hurry up the preaching for the cake auction, but I think you'll stick with me longer if you know that there's something sweet on the other end of the deal, all right? Tonight we're going to look at this simple subject, the character of our conviction. The character of our conviction, we've got to be able to recognize it. Now watch this. If we can't recognize it in the Christians' lives, and we're Christians, how on earth is the lost world going to recognize it in our life, all right? It's got to be something that we believe so much that it not only is on the inside, and we're satisfied having it on the inside, we believe it so much, it bubbles over on the outside and really manifests itself in our life. And there's three areas here in the verses we just read that I think is going to help us, areas that we've got to have some conviction on. Now, look at verse 23. I tell you what, look at verse 24. Paul says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof, now watch verse 25, this is a key verse in point number one, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, Paul is showing us in one particular word something that he never forgot about himself. Notice how he describes himself in verse 25, whereof I am made a minister. Now conviction shows up in the life of a Christian when they are dedicated, number one, dedicated to ministry, all right? There's a dedication to ministry, and we see in Paul's life, his conviction for ministry showed up in his dedication for that. Now here's what's important about that. He never forgot who he was and why he was here. So how do you know? Because he describes it in verse 25 by calling himself a minister. Paul says, the very reason I am here, the reason that I was left here after trusting Christ as his savior was to be nothing less than a minister. That is why we are here. Now, folks, listen, if we're going to fulfill the will of God until the trump of God sounds, we've got to have a conviction about this thing called ministry. Folks, there's a lot of things that we put the label of ministry on today. It's not ministry. So how do you know? Now watch this. Verse 25 defines ministry for us. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Here it comes. Which is given to me for you. Now do you see that? Paul says it was given by God to me for you. Now watch. Paul is relaying the things of God to the people that God placed in his path. What Paul is basically is, is he is a server. Uh, Brother John LaPone recommended a good Italian restaurant for us downtown the other day, and Brother John, I went straight there. Uh, after you told me that on Friday, we went and had dinner there on Friday, downtown on Walnut Street, had great Italian food, and uh, placed our order there. I love Italian food. And the young lady, uh, she comes and gets our order, and she goes and gets our drinks. She comes back, puts our waters on the table, and she's just back and forth, back and forth, between the kitchen and between the tables. Now, do you know what she is? She is a server. She is a waiter. Do you know what she's doing? She's not cooking the food, or as far as I know, she wasn't cooking the food. She was just relaying the food from the one who cooked it to the ones who needed it and the ones who had placed an order for it. Now, folks, that's you and I. That's what a minister is. We take the things of God, and we rail... But by the way, he cooks it. That's why you don't shoot the messenger as this morning, all right? He cooked it up. We take what God cooks up, and we get it to those whom he desires that we serve. That is ministry. Now, folks, by the way, when we follow this path and this model of ministry, where it is given to us for them, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. Matthew 20, 28, what does it say? even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you know what a minister does, what a servant does? They give. Thank thank the Lord that lady, when she brought my plate out, she didn't take my plate and start eating off of it. I wouldn't have paid for it, all right? She took it out of the kitchen, and she delivered it to me for what was mine and what I was looking for. Now, let me tell you something. God has left us here to be ministers. God has left us to take the things of God to those that desperately need it. What does it say? Verse 25, it says, given to me for you. Now, folks, I think oftentimes we lose track of what a minister is. Christ gave the example of a minister who gave his life as a ransom for many. I was Man, my heart was blessed that Brother Bo and I went out soul winning together, and we pulled up in a, in a rough neighborhood, all right? Uh, I figured the best way to train Brother Bo is we're going to go out in the roughest neighborhood I could find, and I took him there. We went in the roughest neighborhood I could find, pulled up, and we parked. Got out of our car, and we're walking in this neighborhood, and lo and behold, Miss Rushing done beat us to it. I saw Miss Rushing, Miss Renee. They were already walking around there. Here I thought I said, Bo, this is a bad neighborhood, Brother Bo. Oh man, you better, you better make sure you're, you know, you're locked and loaded over here, you know, concealed and carried, ready to go. And we're walking in there, and there's Miss Rushing and Miss Renee walking around in there. Boy, it just blessed my heart to see folks giving of their time and giving of themselves to take the things of God to those whom it needed to be delivered to. Now, folks, that's what ministry is. Ministry is taking what God has given to us and sharing it with those who've yet to receive it. That's why it's called good news. The gospel of Christ is why we are here to minister unto those who've yet to hear. The Bible says he gave his life a ransom for many. I want you to notice something in this passage. We're really going to see ministry illustrated. Paul says in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings. Are there sufferings in ministry? Evidently. For you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Notice when you're dedicated to ministry, you're faithful in spite of affliction. Sometimes we're only faithful as long as there's no affliction. As long as every door that I knock on, somebody's nice. As long as every door I knock on, I get a commitment. They're coming and they're going to be excited about being there. No, I hate to tell you, you're going to suffer affliction as a minister. That's why it's going to require conviction. Look, if you're not convicted about ministry and ministering and serving others with the things of God to those who desperately need it, if you don't have a conviction about it, you're not going to stick with it very long. Why? Because there are afflictions involved. There's suffering involved. Oh, what Christ went through for me and the little that I have to go through for him, it's well worth it if others might have what I have because someone ministered to me. We keep reading, the Bible says in verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. Now watch this, to fulfill the word of God. Not only was he faithful in spite of affliction, but he was faithful in maintaining his focus. He says, I am here to fulfill the word of God. Now folks, do you know literally that's why God has left us here to fulfill his word? You ever heard the old phrase, I, I could not find exactly who said it, be careful how you live, you may be the only Bible some person ever reads. I used to tell our teenagers when I was a youth pastor, there are no picture illustrations in here. Now you may have a, a kitty Bible where there's some illustrations in there, but you know, God didn't include any pictures in here. Why? Where are the illustrations? We're to be the walking, talking, illustrations, the fulfillment of the very word of God. Now look, the reason Paul did what Paul did in spite of his circumstances is because he was dedicated to ministry. And if you're going to be dedicated to ministry, it's going to require some personal conviction about what thus saith the Lord. I'm here to live it out. It is, I enjoy preaching, by the way. That's why we go long on Sunday morning. I enjoy it. Brother Michael, amen that. You're now at the top of my Christmas card list. I enjoy preaching. Brother Nate, there you go. He seconded it, all right? Everything can be established by two witnesses. We're going long tonight. Blame them for it. No, we're not. But hear me out, folks. I enjoy preaching. It's something that's fulfilling because that's what God called me to do. But, boy, living out the preaching, that's tough. That's tough. But, you know, that's what we're called to do. If we're going to be a faithful, dedicated minister, we've got to do what the last part of verse 25 says, to fulfill the word of God 2 Corinthians 11, we're not going to take time to read it. You need to go read the grocery list of all that the Apostle Paul went through. Verse 11 alone says this, In weariness and painfulness, In watchings often, in hunger and thirst, In fastings often, in cold and nakedness, A preference will not hold up to that. If your spiritual belief is just a preference toward the Word of God and your quote-unquote convictions are merely preferences, you won't hold up in weariness. You're not going to hold up in painfulness. You're not going to hold up in watchings and hunger and thirst. Look, folks, I know how much we like to eat. Some of you hadn't heard a word I'm saying tonight because you know there's cakes right around the corner in the room getting ready for the auction. We don't like being hungry. And Paul says, I was hungered, I was thirst, and fastings often in cold and nakedness. How on earth could someone go through all of those things? And when you read 2 Corinthians 11, the grocery list is huge. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten with rods, in peril of his own countrymen. He was in perils of everything. And yet the Apostle Paul remained faithful and dedicated. Why? Because ministry was a conviction. It wasn't a preference. And if you give listen, you give up and you close up shop when things get a little bit tight, ministry was not a conviction. It was just a preference. And you're not going to make it in the will of God, particularly in the days that we're about to go into. Philippians 4.9, Paul says, Those things which we have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. What is he saying? He says, fulfill the word. You know what you've heard and what I've taught and what I've showed you? He says, you need to do that and you'll be willing to do it, number one, if you're dedicated to ministry. Let's keep reading. Look, at, look down at verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, notice the second area that reflected conviction in Paul's life. You can see the conviction, the fact that he declared, number two, the mystery. All right, he was dedicated to ministry, Listen, if we're going to fulfill the will of God, we've got to have a conviction and a dedication to ministry. But number two, he declared the mystery. Now, what is a mystery? Well, it's kind of defined right there. The Bible says in verse 26, that was hid from all the ages. A mystery is something that, that is hid. It is now made manifest. The gospel of Christ, notice he says, Christ in you, verse 27, the hope of Glory. Now, let me tell you something tonight. If there's one area the church has got to renew our conviction on, it's in declaring the gospel of Christ. We've got to renew that, right? That is why we are here. We've got to renew our conviction about getting the gospel out. Why? Because the Bible says it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, based on the previous definition of what a preference and a conviction is, do we genuinely have a conviction about declaring the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it a preference or is it a conviction? I had several calls um, after we had our soul winning clinic of folks who had different reactions from people. And I, I cringe, I really do, when I hear that a door didn't go well. You know, somebody knocked on a door and somebody was not happy with them. Somebody didn't like being woke up. Somebody didn't want to hear what they had to say. Somebody slammed the door. Somebody spit on somebody. Somebody cussed at somebody. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to quit. They're going to quit. What a blessing it is to see people continue moving on. But you're not going to do that without some conviction. Now, conviction is something you're going to keep doing regardless of the circumstances you're living in. matter of fact, Acts 20, turn them with me right quick. Acts chapter number 20. I want you to look down. I want to show you something. I quote this verse often, but I want you to see the context of this. Acts 20, look down to verse 23. Paul knows that he's going to Jerusalem. He says in verse 22, Not knowing the things that shall befall me there, verse 23, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now, Paul knows what's coming, doesn't he? He knows that in the line of duty, there's going to be bonds and affliction. But watch what he says in verse 24. But none of these things move me. Why? Because he has a conviction. He has a conviction of ministry And watch this, he's going to declare the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I know that? Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Why did he keep going? Why didn't he quit when he knew things were going to get bad? Because he had a conviction to declare the mystery, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Once again, notice the movement. The ministry which I have received to declare it. Paul says, I'm just a minister. He had a conviction about ministry, but then we see him declaring the mystery of the gospel of Christ. Now, folks, understand this. Not everybody has heard A clear presentation of the gospel. I'm talking about a clear one. I was thinking about the different responses I've gotten lately out knocking doors. I've heard Christ is a profession. I've heard Christ is a religion. And I've heard Christ is a tradition. Now if Christ is only a profession, and if Christ is only religion, and Christ is only a tradition, they are yet lost in their sins. So how do you know? I want you to see this. The Bible says in verse 27, Christ in you. Notice it's not a profession. It's a possession. There's a lot of people that I have met in the past few weeks who Christ is a profession to them. Or Christ is their religion or Christ is a tradition of their family, and they think that is good enough to get them through the pearly gates of glory. But I hate to tell you, it's got to be Christ in you. You see, it's got to be a possession. Now, if we are truly convicted that Christ is something we can possess personally, we're going to be convicted enough about it to make sure everybody else possesses it as well. Correct? If Christ is truly a possession, and he can be our personal Lord and Savior, not my grandma's Savior, but my Savior. Aren't you glad as we sing in the song, he is mine? He is mine. I've heard people tell me knocking on the doors just recently. uh, My grandmother prayed for me. Look, I'm thankful for praying grandmothers. I had two that prayed for me as well, but that's not going to get me in heaven. It must be my possession. I'm thankful my grandmothers possess Christ, but that's not going to get me into heaven. I must possess Christ. And if truly, watch this, we believe that Christ can be our personal Savior and a personal possession, and then we're going to make sure everybody has that too. I think about our, our government. I appreciate them looking after our health and well-being the way they do so much. They ought to as much money they take from us. Amen. Man, they're just having all these campaigns about let's get vaccinated, everybody get your shot, everybody get healthy and all of that. Man, evidently they believe in it. And, and look, folks, look, go and get it if you feel like going and get it. But here's what I'm saying. They believe in it. So how do you know? Man, they're telling everybody about it. They're telling everybody about it. But here's the sad thing. The sad thing is the government believes more in the vaccine than we do in the gospel. So how do you know? Because they talk about it. They're sharing it, man. All the, all the news, Here's this pharmacy, that pharmacy, come on in, we've got your vaccine. And here we have the vaccine for eternity. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a personal possession that they can have. And if we truly believe that, we would make sure they had it more than the government's making sure people get vaccinated from the virus. I'm not against the vaccine, all right? Don't leave your thinking, thinking I am. I'm not, I'm just saying, we ought to be more excited about that than they are of that. Paul says, Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul's writing this through the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is giving him every word to say here in verse 16. But I want to tell you this. Paul didn't have to say it for me to believe it. You know how you know? Because he lived it. Paul lived that he wasn't ashamed. So how do you know that he wasn't ashamed? Because he shared it. He shared it. I'm so thankful that my wife is willing to wear the wedding ring that I gave her. You know, we get ready to leave the house. I don't see her. Let's take it off and put it in the windowsill. I don't want anybody to know why I'm with you. No, I wouldn't blame her if she did, all right? I'd give her that pass. She's not ashamed to walk around and say, you know what? Look, I'm married. I, I wear my I've only taken it off one time since I've been married. I try to keep it on. Why? I'm just thankful to be married. Amen. Somebody was willing to say I do to me. What a privilege it is to be married. Amen. Hey, oh, somebody you're in trouble when you get home. But isn't that what we do with our religion? A lot of us are going to take our religion off as soon as we walk out these doors. Why? Because it's a preference, not a conviction. If it's a conviction, it's going to bubble over into Monday, not just on Sunday. Folks, we've got to have a conviction about declaring the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is he saying? He says, I have a conviction about declaring the mystery, and so should we. Now, real quickly, and I'll give you the last thing. He says, Christ in you, it's a possession. He says, the hope of glory. Now, notice the word the. He says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, folks, I believe Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, meaning the only one, singular, all-inclusive in Christ, no other. Okay? There's a lot of people banking on a lot of other things to get to heaven. Their works, their prayers, their baptism, their religion, their church that they go to. And we know that's not true. The only hope of glory is Christ in you. Now folks, we got to get a conviction about that. It's sad that as we were out knocking doors, we found flyers for other churches out there. And a lot of those flyers are not pointing them to the one and only true way, which is through Christ. But the sad thing is there's more people about, convicted about their lies than we are convicted about the truth. Folks, if we're going to do the will of God, we've got to be convicted about declaring the mystery. Here's Paul. He's showing us what a conviction looks like, and a conviction looks like someone declaring the mystery. Verse 27 of Acts 20, the Bible says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Finally, look down, I'll give you this, and we're going to be done. Paul says in verse number 28, Whom we preach warning every man teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now notice Paul says, I also labor. Do you know what labor is a sign of? Conviction. You're willing to work for what you believe in. But notice he understood that his labor was according to something. Paul says, I'm doing what I can. I labor, striving. But notice he says, according to his working. working. Now, here's what I want you to see there. Paul knew that the only work he could accomplish for Christ was through Christ. All right, you see that? Paul says, I'm laboring, but I'm laboring according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Number three, I want you to notice that conviction materialized in the life of Paul by the fact that he depended mightily. Paul knew that it was not of himself. Paul knew that there was no way that he could go out and accomplish what he could only accomplish through Christ Jesus. That's why he says, I can do all things through Christ. Now, folks, if we're going to do the will of God and win Hattiesburg with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to get to the place where we understand it's only going to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We can't do it of ourselves. Paul says, look, I'm laboring, but it's according to his working, which worketh in me mightily Galatians 2 20 he says I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Paul says I'm living it through him I'm living it through him Our conviction should be manifested in our life by the fact that we understand that we have to depend mightily upon God to work through us. He understood that he could not do it of himself. We sang the song when we were kids a little while ago, but we know the song, He's Still Working On Me. The sad thing is we quit living that as we become grown-ups. You know, he's still working the life of my kid, and I hope he's working the life of my kid. And boy, it's just good to see our kids growing. Mom and dad, you should be growing as well. He should still be working on you because watch this. The labor in which you labor is according to his working which he worketh in you, all right? And so the only way you're going to accomplish more for Christ is for Christ to work more in you. You see that? But oftentimes we come to church, the Holy Spirit of God desires to work in our life, and he wants to go in there and still work on us a little bit. We're like, you know what, I'm already grown. And he quits working in us, therefore we are unable to do more of what we could only through his power. We've got to learn, number three, to depend mightily. First Corinthians 2, 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Paul said it was not of me. Paul says, I come in demonstration of the spirit and power of God. We've got to understand that it's God that's going to work through us mightily because of ourselves, without him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Now, folks, if we really believe that, if we have a conviction of that, then we are going to depend mightily upon God to work through us. I have a lot of friends uh, in, in apologetics. Nothing wrong with apologetics whatsoever. And, boy, they give you some good answers when you go to a door and you don't know what to say to people. But you know you can study for years in apologetics and learn just about everything about every religion and still not be able to win one soul to Christ. Because it's not us. It's of God. Paul says, he worketh in me mightily. I believe tonight for our church to fulfill the will of God here in Hattiesburg, we've got to get some good old-fashioned conviction. All right? Not preferences anymore. Conviction. Conviction about what? We've got to be dedicated to ministry. Ministry is me serving others through the power of God. That's what ministry is. Ministry is not about me. Ministry is about me taking what God has given me and ministering or serving others. The second thing is declaring the mystery. We've got to be convicted about that. There's people who are believing in a lie, and they're basing their eternity upon a lie. We've got to have some conviction about it. If we really believe that Jesus is the only way and the hope of glory, then we've got to make sure we give them the only answer, which is Christ. And then finally, we've got to have some conviction about depending upon God mightily. I told Dr. Sis this. Had about a six-hour drive. Got to drive him home. And, uh, you know, riding around with somebody with such wisdom, you kind of don't want to say nothing stupid, right? And so I thought about it all night long. the then I took notes of the questions I wanted to ask Dr. Sis, or I would look smarter than I was. And uh, he says, well, what is your vision for Central Baptist Church? I said, boy, I wasn't ready for that one. No, no, uh, I have enough. I assure you. I said, doctor says, I just want our church to see God do what only God could do. That's what I want to say. Now, that's personal. That's my burden on my heart. Folks, God has blessed us with wonderful facilities. He's blessed us with an immense amount of talent in every area of our ministry. We have wonderful people. We have a great spirit. But, folks, we can't make up what for only God can do. And my prayer is that we will lean on God mightily. Trust God mightily so that we'll see God work mightily. And when people outside these walls see this, look, this ragtag bunch of folks that we got in here tonight, when they see God working through us, they're going to know it was of God. It was of God. Folks, tonight, let's get some Christian conviction about the things for which God has left us here. Amen? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stop there.